If we haven't met yet, my name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and I'd love to meet you after the experience. I'll be at the back door to say hey. And hey, we're in the middle of our summer series called Chomp. Everybody say Chomp. Did you know that sharks, they love to chomp, first off, that's why we call it a chomp, but sharks lose up to 100 teeth per day just in chomping. 100 teeth a day. That's insane, right? But here's the thing, they never run out of teeth. Each time a shark loses its tooth in one of the rows, the tooth behind it moves forward, acting as like a conveyor belt. So it's got like teeth on standby. And every time one tooth comes out, these just push forward, push forward, push forward, push forward. And some sharks have up to 50,000 teeth during their lifetime. Isn't that incredible? In just a little bit, we're going to be playing this watermelon game, and we're going to see some people eating shark teeth and teeth falling out. It is so exciting because 50,000 teeth is a lot of twofers. It's a lot of teeth. You know, most sharks have five rows of teeth and can have as many as 3,000 teeth at once in their mouth. This is serious chomping power. They're always ready to chomp. If they lose a tooth, they got rows of teeth that just keep moving forward and replacing them so they always keep their cutting edge. I love finding shark teeth. How many of you guys ever found a shark tooth on the ocean at the beach? Very cool. I love finding shark teeth. I used to find them when I was a kid, and I just went on a beach trip with my boys probably like two months ago, and I found a tooth, and it was a really big deal to them because they're so sharp. How many of you guys know little sharp teeth? They might be tiny, but they are sharp sharp. They have a cutting edge. There are so many teeth. I used to think it was a big deal, but actually there's so many sharks and so many teeth. It's kind of rare that you find one, but not really. So I found a lot of shark teeth because they just keep replacing them. Everybody say replacing them. How many guys love the beach? How many guys live in upstate New York, but you love the beach? Yes. Very cool. I love the beach. And uh, I love finding shark teeth. Today we're calling the fourth installment, keep your cutting edge. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep your cutting edge. Shark teeth are sharp, and we want to keep our cutting edge. Shark teeth break, shark teeth fall out, shark teeth chip, but we want to keep our cutting edge. How do we keep our cutting edge? That's the question of the day. How do I find and keep my cutting edge? Well, Ecclesiastes 10.10 gives us some insight. It says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, which makes sense. If the teeth are, are dull and they stay unsharpened, more strength, more chomping power is needed. But skill, everybody say skill. I love this because the Bible's always trying to help us be successful, not hold us back, not hinder us, but help us move forward. It says skill will bring success. Competence will bring crushing it, right? Come on, skill brings success. Again, where the axe is dull and the edge is unsharpened, then you will need twice the effort and twice the labor. I, I never forget, you know, when I was a kid, I was given the job by my dad to trim the hedges in our front yard. And back in the 90s, we had to go and with an extension cord and plug in the hedge trimmer inside the house and go outside and trim the hedges. First experience trimming hedges with the hedge trimmer it was a big deal. I, it started raining out and I got shocked by the, um, by the rain and the electric thing in my hand. So that was kind of impactful. Second time I used hedge trimmers, okay? So round number two. I, I, I never used a hedge trimmer after this. If anybody wants to trim my hedges, you can, feel free. I do not trim my own hedges, okay? I need help with hedge trimmers. But this is the second time I used it. You know how the blades on a hedge trimmer kind of like slow down? They're like, it looks like it stopped. 
Well, I was like, for some reason, feeling lucky. And I grabbed the blade while it was slowing down and almost lost the tips of these two fingers. I mean, I released the trigger and then I just picked it up. And for some reason, I almost lost these two fingers right here. I had to say that because the fact is I hate hedge trimmers. No, that's not the point. That's not the point. Actually, it was an emergency. I had, my parents weren't home. I was being a great son, trimming hedges. I shook my hand in the house. That was a big mistake. Blood on the ceiling, blood on the walls, blood on the furniture. It was kind of crazy. And they took me to the ER because my fingers would not stop bleeding. The point is, my dad gave me another assignment later in life without power tools and without chainsaws and without anything that could cut me. He said, why don't you go up into the tree? There's some dead limbs up there. Go and cut them down with the saw on my bench. And for obvious reasons, he wanted me to use a handheld saw, okay? And not one of those hedge trimmers or chainsaws. Again, I was being a great son to my father, climbing up. I went and grabbed the saw from his bench. You know, uh, um, you're not the sharpest kid in the shed when you just get a job to do, and they have to explain it really in detail. So I just went and grabbed the saw, went up in the tree, and I'm up in the tree being a great son, trimming the tree out, and I'm going at it with this saw, this limb saw, I thought, and I was taken forever. My dad comes back like a half hour later, and he's like, what is going on? You should be done cutting down that limb by now. What is taking you so long? You're up there sweating. You don't look comfortable. What is going on? Come to find out, I grabbed the hacksaw on his bench. And if you're not laughing, I was just like you. What's the difference between a limb saw and a hacksaw? I don't know. It's not the bow saw. It was the hacksaw. And I was using this thing that you cut steel with, with these tiny little teeth. And I was like, what is, what is going on? It's this tiny little thing you cut metal with. And I was trying to cut trees out. And I'm up there in the tree, sweating it out with the wrong saw. I wasn't sharp. I wasn't definitely, definitely not smart, okay? And I want to catch you up to something at my expense today, okay? Not the sharpest kid in the shed, not the smartest, but not the sharpest. I just was saying to myself, imagine, that's a great picture, spending so much of your life out there in the right spot, you know, working the right strokes, taking the right strides in life, but holding the wrong stinking saw. The, the metal cutting saw when you're trying to cut down trees and working something that's not sharp. It's like you're working something that was created for one purpose and you're going against the grain and doing it for your own purpose. I want to ask you this morning, how sharp is your cutting edge? And are you working what you're here for? Are you working the wonder that you were created and designed to do? The Bible says you've been fearfully and wonderfully made for a specific design that God had in mind. And here's the thing, where the axe head is dull and where the edge is not sharpened, how much more strength and stamina is needed? I mean, you got to be stronger and you got to stay there longer if you're working the wrong thing in the right way. I literally worked myself into a sweat. And when I finally got the bow saw, or yeah, the bow saw in my hand, the right saw, I cut through all the limbs in half the time. It was like cutting with ease, flying through the trees with the greatest of ease, just swinging on my trapeze, right? I was just getting after it with the limb saw. I want you to picture that in your life. If you are not sharp, if you don't have your edge sharp, it takes so much more effort and so much more longer than to do what you see everybody else doing in the wrong way. Are you catching that? And it kind of leads me to this question of a life of exhaustion and being overwhelmed. Now, I hear so many Christians, so many believers saying, I'm so tired all the time, so exhausting to be what God made me to be. I am so overwhelmed by the pressures of life. Are you sure that you're working the sharpness that brings success? 
Why is your confession, why is your cutting always so dull and always so dim? You know what I'm saying? And that's the question. And that's why you feel unable sometimes to swim with sharks around you who are crushing it because they were created to crush it. You were created to crush it. But you just got to find the right cutting edge. Anybody ever feel tired of swimming with sharks? Maybe at work. Maybe your lawn versus their lawn and who has the greater cutting edge. You know, it's like they always get it so right. Here's another scripture I want you to meditate on. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. I said, as iron sharpens iron, another person sharpens another person. There's questions that come out of these verses. First question, who is sharpening you? Another question, who makes you more dull? You know, I have interactions with people. I know that I know that I know that they make me sharper and smarter and better. And then I know I talk to some people and they drain me and they make me so dumb and so dull because we talk about the same things over and over again and call it relationship. But that's not relationship. Listening to someone complain is not sharpening me. My ears aren't trash cans. Stop throwing your garbage in them. Right? So who's sharpening you? Another great question. Who is making you dull? I know there are people in my life who make me sharper. They tell me the truth, and they ask me tough questions. And I want to tell you, sometimes it feels agitating. Sometimes it feels abrasive. Sometimes I feel like it's annoying. Sometimes I feel like it is out of their realm, and they should not be holding me accountable. But I'm telling you, even though I'm annoyed by their relentless tenacity to keep bringing it up and keep keeping me accountable, that's good. These people who sharpen you are a gift to you. They're placed in your life to make you better, not bitter. Some people, they just throw their bitterness at you and they make you bitter, bitter, bitter. Pick up my offense. Pick up my problems. Whine like I whine. Talk like I talk. Sing like I sing. No, 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 no. Who's sharpening you? Who is sharpening you? That's a good question. And if somebody's trying to sharpen you, do you just cut them off and cut them out every time they challenge you towards your destiny? Are the people that actually challenge you and hold you accountable and seem a little annoying, a little aggressive, you know, are those people just cut off and cut out by you because they're trying to help you be the best version of who you are? The people who address your blind spots, do you get angry at them or do you get happy? The people who dismantle your dysfunction, do you push them away or do you welcome them in? The people who shut up your excuses and say, stop complaining, do you let them come or do you cut them off? You need somebody in your life who will sharpen you who's helping you be a better person. That's why I'm committed right here at Hope Church to help with the upward call in Christ Jesus. And it might not always feel comfortable, but it will call you higher because I believe there's more in you than you've tapped into so far. And I want to encourage you today, find a leader in your life that will have a real conversation with you about something that will actually sharpen you and not leave you dull and dim at the risk of you being offended. At the risk of you having your feelings hurt. If people aren't hurting your feelings and you're not growing from it, you're probably not living the life that could, you could be, the sharpness you could have, the edge you could have in life. F find a piece of iron that will sharpen your edge. I love challenge. I'm a red personality. If you challenge me, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm coming after you. One time, my dad told me I would be terrible salesman. So that summer, I went out and I got a salesman job, and I made 17 bucks an hour plus commissions on everything I sold. And I was like, man, I don't know if he was smart or dumb, but he was really getting me working hard. 
If you challenge me, tell me I can't do something, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Don't step on the crack, Nate. Ever since I was a little kid, you break your mom's back. Crack, 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 crack. I love challenge. If you're in this church, you probably like a little challenge too. You're a little sick of comatose Christianity. You're ready to rise up. Ready to be a champion. Ready to go after it. Ready to grow. Ready to develop. Ready to become all you were created to be. Because there are people who hold the keys to your destiny. I want to connect to those people who unlock things in me. Who agitate and come after things and say, I know there's more in you than that. Find a piece of iron that will sharpen your edge. Because as one man sharpens another, so, so, so sharpening happens. So the question is, how sharp are you in 2021? What is your cutting edge? This is huge. So many people live their whole life. They never discover their edge in life. Everybody in here has a cutting edge. Everybody in here has teeth that were made for chomping. And that's just what they'll do. And one of these days, they're going to come into their purpose and chomp all over you. Right? Every single person has something they were created to bring, an edge to life. It may not be as replaceable as a shark tooth, but the Bible says when your edge is not sharp, more strength is needed on your part. Well, I wonder if you even know what your cutting edge is. I want to ask you, what is your cutting edge? What is your definitive in life? What is your uniqueness? What makes you different? What has God uniquely skilled and gifted you to do? He's called you to do. I want to encourage you, find your cutting edge today. Don't look to other people to see what's inside of you. Look to your creator to say, what is my cutting edge? You created me with intentionality in mind. You are intelligent in your design. And I want to get after, I want to crush what you created me for. Embrace your cutting edge. Some people are afraid of their cutting edge. They're afraid to stand out and to be too sharp for people. Other people won't understand me. I'm too sharp. Stop it. Go after what God made you to be. Embrace your cutting edge. Don't try to be somebody else's cutting edge. Be the cutting edge that God created you to be. And we all know if everybody were like me, we'd all go crazy. It's okay to be different at what you're good at. We want you to be who God made you to be. Not what I want you to be. Not what they want you to be. Not what they need you to be at work. We want you to be what you were designed to be. And develop that in your life. Another question. How much time on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, do you spend sharpening your edge? Not every day, but most days I evaluate my cuts. And I look through my life, highly successful people, they look back over the, what they did in the past 12 hours and they say, what am I doing to develop my edges? Pay attention. Invest in relationships that sharpen you. Pay attention to your actions, not just your imp impact, you know, not just your, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. That is your, that's what you're trying to do. That's, that's like what you really want to intend to do. But you need to pay attention, how did it really leave an impact today? Look back over your impact and question, are my intentions what my impact says they are? Are you catching me? It's worth it. It's worth finding somebody who will challenge you. It's way better than going through life with double the effort because you're so dull. And you're the only one who can't see it. Are you catching me? And I want to ask you, how much time in this crisis have you wasted by not being sharp? How much time in your destiny purpose have you wasted by not being who you were made to be? And who sharpens you? They're great questions. Who stewards the sharpening that happens with you? But also, a good question is, what sharpens you? Everybody say, what sharpens me? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. Another way to say it is relevant today. It's a rhema relevant word. That's what sharpens me. 
The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, isn't that archaic? No, it's alive. And it's sharp. And it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I mean, it gets right to the heart of it. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So not just your good intentions, but your lousy impact. It gets to the intentions before the impact. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it judges your thoughts before you do it and your attitude before you go. I love that. Can I just say, when we're talking about being sharp and finding our sharpness and keeping our sharpness, why not go to the ultimate source of sharpness? Why not run to the word of God and allow it to sharpen us? Man, more than just on Sundays with me. The word of God sharpens me. I love the word of God. It's active. It's alive. And it gets right to the core of what you're chomping on. David said it like this, I meditate on your word day and night. And I hate the preachers who are always like, are you reading your Bible? That's garbage. Stop it. It's not a guilt trip. Come on. It's a glorious thing. When you get out of guilt and into what God created you for, and you source sharpness from the right source, it makes you sharp. Well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do that. No, no, no. This is, there is no guilt, no got-tos, only get-tos. I get to stay sharp in the Word of God. I can't get enough sharpening of the Word of God. It's my source for my cutting edge. What is your source? If it's not the Word of God, what is it? Is it a YouTube video, how-to? Like, what keeps you sharp? You know what I'm saying? I love the word of God because it's full of his ways and it's full of his thoughts. And his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are so much higher and sharper than my thoughts. So I connect to the sharpest source I know. And if we're going to know his thoughts and walk in his ways, we got to run to his word at the ultimate source of sharpening. Amen. Come on, church. Are you with me? All right. Having said all that, I got something to tell you today, okay? Let me get to the text. I really want to swim through this text with you today. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, and all the sharks had their fins up, right? We're finning. This is going to be finning awesome, okay? The disciples of the prophets said to Elisha, the place where we're staying, it's too small for us. Man, this is what I'm talking about. This is the word of God. They're saying the place where we live, it's too small. I love these people. The disciples, the school of the prophets, go to Elijah, the prophet of prophets, and they say to the man of God with a double portion, the place where we're staying, it's too tiny for me. Let's go to the Jordan River. The Jordan represents transformation. The Jordan represents, represents transition. Let's go to the transformation place. Let's get changed. Each of us can get some logs and make a place for us to live there. Everybody say us and us. Each of us can go get some logs and make a place for us to live there. And Elijah said, go ahead. Everybody say, go ahead. Then one of the disciples said, won't you please come with us? Leader boss, man in charge, would you please come with us? I love that because this is saying, I'm not a narcissistic disciple. That's all about just give me permission to go do what I want to do and let me go and cut me loose. But this disciple realized the power in the presence of good leadership being with them in their efforts. He wasn't just trying to get something from his leader, like get a stamp of approval, God's seal of approval. He was wanting to make sure they stayed and step with their leadership. He said, won't you please come with us? So they came to the place of transition, the Jordan River, the transformation, and began cutting down trees by the river. As one of them was cutting down the tree, the axe head fell into the water. That's rough when your only job is to cut down trees. 
I mean, we're not just talking like his accent lost its sharpness, it grew dull. We're saying he lost his accent. He lost his cutting edge in life. Have you ever felt like at work, you were doing really good in your 30s? When you hit 42, you're like, I lost my edge. Anybody ever felt like in marriage, you're doing really good till that 10-year mark? is like, man, we lost our edge. You guys catching me? Ever feel like you're a good parent until they turn 12? And something just, you just lost your edge? He has lost the tool to equip him to do the mission that was in front of him. Anybody ever felt like that? I've lost the resources I need to be who I'm called to be. And he cried out, oh, no, master. It was borrowed. Oh, snap. Now, that sounds like a college student, right? It was borrowed. And he's in school of the prophets. He's in college. The man at God asked, where did it fall? And he showed Elisha the place. Elisha cut off a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water. At that place, it fell off, and it made the axe head float. Whoa! We got floating axe heads looking like fins in the water. Isn't that kind of fun? Elisha said, pick it up. The disciple reached for the floating axe head, impossible, and he picked it up. Now, this sounds crazy. This is a real story that really happened. Wow. He got his cutting edge back again. I'm believing that today is the day you get your edge back. You get your cutting, you get your chomper ready. You get your chomper sharpened. You find your edge, you get your edge back. The first thing I love about this is people who really study God's ways, who give themselves to the school of the prophetic, the school of the prophets under Elisha's leadership was teaching these young prophets, we have to think bigger. We got to think bigger. We got to think bigger than we do right now. The place where we live, it's too small. Our impact is too tiny. Our, 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 our efforts are too small. We got to think bigger. Point number one, think bigger. If you're studying God's ways, you're studying God's words, you will always, always, always think big. Never retreat. Never huddle up. Never close in. Never just play it safe till Jesus comes back. You always think bigger. I'm so glad to be planted in a church surrounded by leaders that say, we've got to think bigger and build bigger than we do right now. I can't wait to see this place growing. It's a spirit of faith. It's a spirit of expansion. It's prosperity versus poverty. We're here to grow. We're here to make a difference. We're here to make a bigger impact, a bigger splash with more ripples. You see our fin coming, you're going to feel it. We're here to make a difference. And these students of God's word and God's ways, they think big. Anytime you hear a believer thinking small, telling you to hold back, telling you to go back to what you were doing, think littler, be littler, feel littler, you know that they're not spending time in God's word and God's ways. Because my God always leads us into triumph, into winning, into victory after victory after victory. I love it when you get around people who are thinking big thoughts, living big lives. And are interested in actually being better and bigger than where they are right now. Take a good look, get a snapshot, mental picture. It's the last time you'll see me this pathetic. I'm going to grow next week. This week is a week of growth. It's a week of development. It's a week of discernment. It's a week of discipleship. I'm going to keep growing. Can anybody say yes to that? I'm going to take a picture. This is the worst you'll ever look in your life. It only gets better from here. So it's not like what's wrong with us. It's like how can we do better? It's not full of guilt and you're not enough and you never do it right. No, it's how can we grow bigger than where we're at today. It's not what's wrong with everything. It's where can we get sharper? Where can we get better and smarter? How can we have a bigger influence and make a greater impact? I'm here to influence and impact. How about you? 
what can I do to get sharper? I just think to myself, these prophets came and they said, the place where we live, it's too small, leader. That tells me they were sitting under a godly leader, a place with a vision who was encouraging them to live and think and dream big. Oh, that's just nice, inspirational talking. That's the word of God. Oh, you're just saying that because you want to tickle people's ears. I'm keeping my hands to myself. I'm not tickling anybody's ears. I'm saying, listen to the word of the Lord from the prophet. Think bigger. What is this, just motivational teaching? No, it's not motivational teaching. It's the word of God teaching. What's What's the opposite? Think smaller? Oh, follow my God. Come serve Jesus. He'll make you smaller and smaller and smaller till you suffocate. And you're the most prude, pitiful, pathetic person in the world. Come on, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You might not know the God that I serve. He causes me to be free, to get life to the fullest, to expand my thinking, to come out of my smallness, to serve other people, not just myself. He says, expand, lengthen the ropes of your cords. Get bigger. Get your tent stakes out there further. Go for greater. They were taught to live and think and dream big. They looked at where they were and they said, that was good then. And I appreciate July of 2021. But August is coming, people of hope. September is coming. And we're going to see more lives changed than ever before. As a result of being in a faith environment, they started believing God for more. I refuse to say where I am today. How about you? Can I encourage you to live by that scripture? Yes, it's in the Bible, Ephesians 3.20. Well, I think you're just taking it out of context. Let's listen to it. Now to him, Jesus Christ, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you think, ask, dream, imagine according to the power that works in you. That's in you, not in him, in you. You know who lives in you? Christ's spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, resurrection power. He lives in you. Oh, I don't believe the Bible. Oh, okay. Then stop calling yourself a believer. There's no such thing as a doubting believer. When he said there's power in you, when he says get above and exceedingly and greater than you think or ask according to the power that works in you, I know when I gave my life to Jesus, my limitedness stopped. It ceased. And I said yes to the power that works within me. It's the spirit of God. It's the spirit of Jesus. And it's resurrection power, baby. You can't hold this down. It's going to bounce back to life. Can I just encourage you? Come on. God wants to bless you. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. God wants you to think bigger than before. I love it when that widow was going to lose everything. She was going to lose her sons because her husband that died was a loser. She's about to lose her sons because losing begets losing. He died and left this woman all these debts that he never paid. And now the debtors are coming to take her sons as tribute or payment for all the husband's debts because she couldn't pay his bills. And then Elijah said, what do you have in your house? And she thought like everybody else. She was a victim of her environment. She said, a little. I got nothing but a little bit of oil. Her husband had trained her. Little thinking had reigned in their home. I got nothing but a little bit of oil. He says, go out and borrow as many vessels as you can. Borrow big. Think big. Not a few, but as many empty vessels as you can find. Do you know what this prophet was doing? He was trying to position her for blessing. He's saying, God has great things for you, but you got to change the way you plan. Change the way you think. Change the way you sharpen. And he's trying to get her to think 
past the disaster. Think past the crisis. Think past the immediate need in front of her, which is the definition of poverty thinking. You put off this loan because you got to pay this one this month, and then you put that one on hold, and you put that. I'm just thinking, I got a little bit, and I got to pay somebody off to get somebody off of my back. It's just like immediate crisis after immediate crisis after immediate crisis, and all these things are limiting her thinking. She goes out and she borrows as many vessels as she can get. And I think the parallels in these two stories one guy's borrowing an axe to go for greater, and a woman is borrowing oil jars, jars to go for greater. I just want to push you a little bit and say, God is in the borrow. Some people have different theologies about that. But this woman is risking her reputation, going to her friends and saying, can I borrow your empty vessels? Because God's getting ready to do a miracle in my life. This guy's like, can I borrow your axe and the axe head? Because God's getting ready to make something bigger happen in my life. I don't know what you've been taught about that, but just meditate on that day and night. Think past the crisis. Think past the immediate need in front of you. She goes out and she gets as many vessels as she can find. And the prophet begins to pour a little bit. She begins to pour the the oil out. He says, go ahead, pour the oil out into the first vessel. And she poured all the oil into the first vessel. And something strange happened. All the oil was still left in the first vessel and the second vessel. And there was more oil there. And that jar was filled. And the next jar and the next vessel. She poured it out and on and on, filling every vessel she had in front of her. And then finally she turns to her son and says, go get me another vessel. Didn't we plan bigger than this? And the son says, that's all we believe God for. That's all the vessels I could gather. That's all I could find. And then the miracle of oil stopped. Can I tell you, God will meet you as big as you can believe. God will meet you as big as you can think. God will bless you as much as you can prepare. And preparation is your work, not his. As much as you're willing to prepare yourself for blessing, God will do it. So I encourage you, think big thoughts. Prepare in big ways. Big, huge ditches. Dig some big ditches. Live a big life. Anybody believing big? So number one, think big. Number two is this. You got to have a plan that includes teamwork. All great. First, the prosperity preaching. Now I'm getting ready to sip the Kool-Aid. No, 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 no. Think together. Everybody say, think together. They said, let us... Go to the Jordan, and each of us can get some logs and make a place for us to live. Come on. Let us go because we are better together. Everybody say, let us. See, it's not the Lone Ranger. It's not the solo man. It's not the person that says, God is all I need. You need to know God is not all you need. He will never be all that you need. That's heresy. No, 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 no. You might have a tendency, like me, to say, I don't need anybody. I just need God. When I was a kid growing up, like I said, I hated church. I hated church people even more. And I said, God, all I need is you and me. I get salvation. I get healing. I got everything I need. Just me and Jesus. Man, was I a fool. Man, was I wrong. Now I come into the same place, and I'm so thankful for community. Never think that God is all you need. Let me tell you something. God said it's not good for man to be alone. I want to ask you this question. Was God there when he said that? I'll say it again. God said it's not good for man to be alone in the garden. Was God there when he said that? When he looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone? The answer is yes. He was there. He created Adam. And God looks at Adam and says, Adam's alone still. It's just me and him, and he's alone. 
Adam had the whole world that God created. I mean, it's beautiful. Adam had all the animals God created. God walked with Adam in the cool of every day, talking and walking and telling each other about the day, having great times in the garden. And yet he said, this man is alone. And it's not good. You know what God was saying? I am not all that you need. I will never be all that you need. It's not just you and Jesus. It's not just you and God. You need a team. You need other people. And then God made Eve a woman, and every man said, thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, the two of you got it. Every man said, thank you, Jesus. Come on, guys. Let's put on a tee right there for you. God made woman, and she made a team. Without Eve, we have no teams. Without Eve, it's just me and God and Jesus and broke down dysfunction in a garden that's great. God is not all you need. And we got to understand they're actually more powerful in community. We are better together. That's why we have impact teams. The Bible says two are better than one. Working together is way more fun. In Ecclesiastes, our, one can impact a thousand, two can impact ten thousand. We're not called to live in isolation. So much of what COVID has done has caused us to be in a cave mentality. Us four and no more. Let's stay safe and stay alone. And the Bible tells me we're not called to be alone. If you're going to stay sharp, it's going to involve more people than just you. I was telling the boys, you know, when I play basketball with people who are better than me, they make me better. It's called community learning. It actually makes me sharper. I want to run with people who are smarter than me sharper than me it's not insecurity it's led with integrity to say my god i need to grow i am not the i am all be all of every circle i'm in if you are you got to find a different circle swim with a different set of sharks in shark week a couple years ago it's like in the beginning of shark week i remember watching there were these sharks and these seals and they, they were t studying the chomping patterns of the sharks trying to attack the seals and this guy was out there in his little dinghy on the waves with his microphone and they're watching the shark habits and this one shark just chomps down on the seal like cuts him in half and they come to this conclusion he says if you're what's see he's like well see what's happening out here in the shore is the seals that stay together they have a much higher chance of survival and the seals that get isolated or drawn from the pack those are the ones that the sharks usually go for and chomp to pieces so he's saying when you're out there swimming in boards and you're in shark infested waters with your friends stay together as a team you have a higher chance of survival sharks won't attack bigger things as easy as they will isolated things are you with me today let's think together everybody say think together there is safety in community there is power in community there is blessing where there is unity come on people of hope we want that commanded blessing right here at hope church and it's not because we're sipping kool-aid it's because we know we we're created to crush it together and we are so much better uniquely, differently together. Don't ever try to be like the person next to you. Be who God made you to be. Keep your cutting edge and add your edge to the next edge to the next edge. And I'll tell you, we're going to chomp like nobody's business. Amen, church? Think big. Think together. Number three, think surrender. This is where I pick up all the spiritual people. Think surrender to God. Oh, yeah, finally. One that's not just prosperity teaching and unifying. You know, Let's think together. Surrender. Everybody say surrender. Surrender your vision to God. Your vision doesn't have God on it. When they said to their leader, would you go with us? Would you, or can we go? I love it. Elisha said, go ahead. He's a great leader. You're thinking bigger. Finally, you're getting it. Go ahead. Build something bigger. 
I want to ask you, is your vision, your mission, your cutting edge, does it have God on it in growth? Or is it just something you've got as your own personal plan that you came up with? Have you ever run, let me ask it like this way, have you ever run something by a leader where that person has the potential to say no and you actually not do it? Or do you just talk to your friends and say, they're like, I don't know if that's a good idea, and you're just like, yeah, that's your opinion, I'm going to do it. I love when people are like, Pastor, I got this great idea. I've never seen it done before. A Christian coffee house. I'm like, whoa, really? I've never heard of that before. That's incredible. Yeah, there's this really cool one out in Texas. I, I saw it. I mean, I had this vision and this great thing from God. He told me to do it. And they're like, uh, what do you think? Well, God told you. You've got great vision. You're not asking me for permission. You're telling me what you're doing. If I said no, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. You would still do it. Are you catching what I'm saying? And so many times people are like, well, it's working in Georgia. Why won't it work here? And they go do it. And what happens? Oh, my gosh. I chased my dream. I heard from God. And now I'm so burnt out and broken. And there's piles of people disastered by your big dream. I want to ask you again. Have you ever run something by a leader where that person has the potential to say no and you not do it? Think surrender. Of course, Elisha said, yes, go. Think big. Go great. But if he had said no, the school of the prophets would have not borrowed the axe and not gotten to work. Are you hearing me? I want to ask you, is God on what you want to do? Because your edge is sharp when godly leaders are in your life and are with you, stewarding your success. The disciples said, won't you please come with us? And Elisha said, I'll go. See, if he hadn't gone with them, if he had said if he hadn't said go and he hadn't gone with them, what would they do when they lost their cutting edge? Because starting something is super fun, isn't it? Having a great plan is super fun. But what happens in the middle when you feel like quitting and you've lost your edge and the dream seems so dumb? In verse 5, the disciple said, oh, no, leader. It was borrowed. That edge that I was using, I borrowed it from somebody. Listen, while they're cutting down trees, someone's axe head fell off. Someone's edge fell off. While you're doing your mission, you lost your accent. It's inevitable that somewhere you're going to feel dull or like you have no head at all. Now that tells me this person had more zeal than he had wisdom. And here he is, so thankful that he had brought God with him to this party. He had brought the man of God with him to his venture. Are you hearing me? Because the zeal of cutting down the tree was there. He was cutting down the tree so fervently and so zealously, he wasn't paying attention to the small details of the axe head. And all of a sudden, the wedges that were holding the head in place weren't tight. And he had more zeal than he had wisdom. And because of that, he swung and he lost his cutting edge. And I love it. Leadership was there when he lost it. The man of God was with him on the mission. They invited him along. They not only got his blessing, but they brought him with them. This is not a ploy to, like, get control everybody's lives, decisions. Not at all. The first thing I want to tell you is that this guy was like, oh, my gosh, I lost my edge. And I love what he did. It doesn't have to be your pat. I'm not saying this has to be me. It could be any leader that you respect. Talk to somebody who could say no. The first thing he did was own the fact that he lost his edge. And he went directly to the leader of his life. I know what it's like to, have a past to be a pastor and have somebody come to me and say, you're the reason why I lost my cutting edge. I was doing a mission. I heard from God. I was doing what God called me to do. And it's a church's fault where I am, where I am today. I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. And the church hurt me. 
And I always think about where the axe is dull, much more strength is needed. You're burnt out because your axe head is blunt, bro. It's blunt. You got no iron sharpening you. You have no accountability. You don't have a team. All you're doing is thinking big without a team and without accountability, without leadership. It's so much easier, listen to me, to blame your boss for your bluntness than it is to look at yourself and say, where could I add more value to this team? It's so much easier to blame the government than it is to pay your bills. To blame somebody else for why you are where you are rather than taking good inventory on how you lost your cutting edge that you borrowed. So the disciple is taking responsibility. Let's give him a round of applause, everybody. Just break it up. Thank God. He's taking responsibility in owning the fact that he lost his cutting edge. And the man of God said to him, where did you lose it before you got burnt out? And the disciple says, well, I was working late. I wasn't connecting to God during the week whatsoever. I was like, you know, in this nebulous, flirty thing with my coworker, and that's where it started. I got really jealous as I was scrolling, and I just really, really, really got frustrated with that person who said those words to me. Where did you lose your cutting edge? Where did you get offended? What church ruined church for you? I was standing here in this tree that I was cutting down. I love this guy. I was standing right here. I was cutting down this tree, and, and I was swinging the axe this way, and the river's like right over there. That place of transition is just beyond my reach. It's right over there, and I missed, and the axe head flew off the handle into the river. Right here is where the splash was, where the ripples are. See, when you're willing to go to the place where you lost your axe head and you're not blaming the prophet for losing your edge and you're not blaming somebody else for why you are where you are, when you are willing to take personal responsibility and say, I was doing this right here in this way. This is where I was. This is what I was doing. I got offended with so-and-so and that's what allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to get in me and that's where I've lost my edge because I'm angry. And I hate this person. My cutting edge fell off right here at this interaction 17 weeks ago. Remember? And everybody's like, no. No one remembers. I like how fresh it is and how immediate it is. Say, I lost my edge when you said that to me right there. I got so offended. I got so frustrated. Instead of walking around, you know, saying, all oh, the the leader's probably too busy for me. I can't talk to my team leader on my team. They, they got a lot going on these days, you know. It's like, oh, stop it. Where did you lose your edge? That's what leadership should ask. The man of God said, you show me where you started to lose it before you got burnt out. Let's go back there to that interaction. Then Elisha saw this guy owned it. He picked up a stick and he threw it right where it was lost. And he touched the place. He touched the place where the guy lost it. Is anybody having access to your bitterness? Do you allow anybody to touch the place where you lost your edge? Are you vulnerable enough to say, it's right here, and that's where I lost it? Or do you say, don't touch that spot. Don't mess with that. Don't touch that. He touched it with a stick, and then the cutting edge came back to the surface. I want to ask you this morning, what are you not surfacing because it's too heavy for your leadership to handle? Let's just be honest. Axe heads don't come to surfaces. And so you're looking for an impossibility by talking to a normal person who's clueless. But if you connect to a real leader, he won't talk about the distraction. He'll talk about the place where it fell in. 
He won't talk about, oh, so-and-so hurt my feelings here, 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 here. They'll go back to the place where you were six and you had a problem with authority and you really hated your dad for what he did to you. Rightly so. And then ever since then, there's always been these, these things where you're blaming every other guy for what fell off way back here. Are you catching me? And because it's too heavy for anybody to handle, including your husband, you don't talk to anybody about it and you don't give anybody access to it. Because you think it's too heavy to float. And you're right, but you're so wrong. Because God has this capacity to work through leadership, to bring what's too heavy to the surface. So you can get back your cutting edge. You don't understand, Pastor. It's impossible. I've tried this before. I've told other people. They're all kind of dull and dim and dunce-ish. And every time I talk to them, it just makes it worse and it hurts more. Wait a minute. You're saying it's impossible. It's also impossible for axe heads to float. But if somebody had access to throw something right where it really hurts, right where it really happened, and that thing could do the impossible and float to the surface, what are you afraid to surface in your life? I want to ask you and challenge you, surface that thing even if it hurts. Surface that thing even if it looks like the biggest mistake of your life. Surface that thing with leadership and do it fast. Don't wait forever. Surface it because it's not too heavy and it's not too impossible for God. And God works through people, especially leadership. It's the way he designed it. That's why the leader's with you on this journey of life. It was so simple to go back to the place and pick up right where they left off before the offense, before the abuse, before the distraction, before the jealousy, before the anger, and the man got his cutting edge back. Thank you, Jesus. How many know it's probably a little bit more careful with his edge after he did all of that impossible stuff? He was probably a little bit more paying attention to the details as he swung his axe and not looking at sister so-and-so swing her axe, and that's why my head fell off, you know? Because I'm so concerned about what everybody else does with their cute edge, and their edges are so much sharper than mine. Stop it. He's probably focused more on what God has given him to do, while God's created him, designed him, and he's swinging his cutting edge with precision, with a little bit more wisdom, not comparing himself, but finding contentment in what he has. Not so sensitive and offendable to what goes around him, but learning to eat the meat and spit out the bones. And not everybody can hurt my feelings. Why? Because I know what edge I have. I know what God's called me to. And I'm not so worried about people thinking such and such about me. Come on. He used wisdom and he wielded his cutting edge with strength in life. Unintimidated by what impact it could have. So many people stop short of what they are created for because they're worried about the impact. Being too flashy being too serious. God created you something on purpose. The answer isn't to quit working your gift. Well, I just need a break from swinging my axe head. My edge needs a break. Ah, that's not the answer. That's called ineffective Christianity. Sideline comatose Christians. The answer wasn't to avoid leadership like so many people do in the place like this. It's a big place. I can avoid leadership. I don't have to join a team. I can just avoid, avoid, avoid. It's not to stop working your gift. How many of you guys know you're gifted with an edge for others, not for yourself? How many of you guys believe you have something to offer? You have a cutting edge? How many of you guys think it would be bad to not work what God gave you? You want to work that thing? The answer is not stopping working. It's not stopping leadership, avoiding leadership. Like, oh, I just can't talk to Elijah. He's too busy. No, 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 no. Talk to the man. Talk to your leaders. I'm not going to avoid leadership. 
Well, I did once, and they yelled at me. Stop it. Quit being a victim. Do you want your edge back or don't you? The answer wasn't to take his handle and go home blaming the man of God. So he's not avoiding leadership. He's not blaming leadership. The answer was to own where he lost it last and get some help from leadership and to pick it back up and engage again in his design purpose. Hey, people of hope, it's amazing when you discover your cutting edge. It's even better. It's even better when you sharpen your cutting edge and work it with ease. You were created to crush it. It's so easy to serve God. It's so easy to serve others when you have a sharp edge. If you have a blunt edge, you live in the land of burnout. But if you have a sharp edge, it's easy to do what you were created to do. I want to encourage you, serving God, using your gifts to serve others, it's easy. It's work, but it's work that you were designed to do easily. Do sharks ever complain about how their jaws are so heavy and it's hard to open and close them? Sharks like, oh man, it's so hard to chew on seals. No. It's easy for a shark to work what was created to do. It's easy. Let me say it's easy. It's easy. Jaws were created to chomp. It's easy. I love Jesus when he said, are you tired? Are you worn down? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. I'll give you a rest for your soul. Everybody's like, yes. What island are we going to? And he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a work instrument for cattle. Take my work upon you. He's not saying rest, run away from serving people, avoid leadership, stop using your gifts. He says, you never, ever, ever need a break from doing what you were born and created and called to do. That'd be like taking a break from breathing and you would die if you stopped breathing. That's insanity. He said, sharpen with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me and you'll cut with ease. Following Jesus is never hard. It's easy. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let's read it together in Matthew 11 as we shut it down. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burn out on religion? Jesus says, great. I'm good with that. Come to me. I'm good at this. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says these words. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Going on a rest, going on a vacation. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. It's like a grind, but there's glory in this grind. It's ease. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live in a perpetual state of freedom and light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want to encourage you today. If you receive this and you say, man, I want to walk with ease and keep my cutting edge. I want to work my edge with ease. Give him a shot of praise and say, I received that. I believe that. That is coming back to me. I'm going to find my edge again. I'm going to work my edge again. I'm not here to quit. I'm here to work it with ease. Think big. Think together. Think surrender. And you'll find that what you're created to do is actually easy for you because you were made for it easy for sharks to eat seals. They were created to do it. We can do this. We're not here to escape our cutting edge. We're here to work and walk and watch and wield our cutting edge.